Do you think my voice is a little better? All right, I'm not dying, okay? Some of you are getting real concerned because it's gone on about a month and a half. And this is hot tea, okay? I'm not one of the hip pastors that have to have a cup of coffee everywhere they go. It's just, it helps me. So uh, that's what that is, all right? And it is hot. So if you see me wince when I drink it, it's the hotter the better. The, so it's, it's hot, so uh, it helps a little bit. But uh, this morning we're beginning, uh, or actually part two of our series called Holy Habits, Holy Habits. And the Holy Habits uh, are talking about uh, what sometimes is referred to as spiritual disciplines, the spiritual disciplines. Our scripture that is, if you want to say, kind of a theme scripture should be on the screen is 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 through 8. And it's from the New Living Translation. I just like the way it reads. And uh, it, it says, Do not waste your time arguing over godless ideas or old wives' tales. But notice this. It says, Instead, train or discipline yourself to be godly. Train yourself. Uh, verse 8. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better. And notice this. <clears throat> Promising benefits in this life and the life to come. So at the very heart of the holy habits isn't just working out a better regimen of Bible reading, prayer, and all the other things. The very heart is to know God, right? God is the goal, not you completing your Bible reading in a year. Because if you complete your Bible reading in a year and you're no closer to God, start over, all right? The point is, is that all of these things are intended by God as means, not for salvation, but as people who are Christians, as people who are followers of Jesus, they are intended to be the, the, the paths, the, the, the roads by which we grow, as it says, in godliness, training and as I mentioned last work, the word train or training is the word in the Greek that we get the word gymnasium, okay? So the word is, is speaking about a working out, okay, some effort. And uh, these disciplines are things that we intentionally do in order to fulfill the directive by Paul to his son Timothy and to us about being uh, growing in godliness, a quote that I uh, may use every week, and it's from uh, author Donald Whitney. He's a professor up at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, and um, uh, know him uh, and have had a chance to. One time he preached in a church I pastored in Illinois. But he's written an excellent book called Spiritual Disciplines of the Christian Life, and I thought he had a good definition that helps us kind of center our thoughts this morning. He says the spiritual disciplines or the holy habits, whatever, are those practices found in Scripture that promote spiritual growth among believers in the gospel of Jesus Christ. They promote spiritual growth. They are habits of devotion and experiential Christianity, Christianity that we actually experience that have been practiced by the people of God since Bible times. Last week, and you can go online and listen, last week we began and looked at Bible intake. And the reason I use that word Bible intake, because 
we intake the Bible in different ways. Read it, hear it, memorize it, all sorts of different ways. And so we talked about those things. This morning, the second habit that I want us to look at is the habit of prayer. The habit of prayer. Now, as soon as I say that, if you're like me, you immediately think, or maybe we have some, I do see a few halos in here, so maybe I'll skip y'all. But I think many times Christians think immediately, I don't pray enough. So this is not for me to come up here and whip you to pray more. Because if I had to do that, I'd have to start with myself. We, we never pray enough. And sometimes we labor under that guilt of not praying. And so I want to kind of just for you to just breathe. It's okay. We're not going to go down those roads. Because I think we can pretty much understand that prayer is something that God indeed calls us to do. Um, in a little file of just different odds and ends of things that I keep uh, in my desk, I have this little sheet that back in uh, 2005, uh, I had a very specific financial need. And uh, I needed $471 for something. Now, again, $471, is that still real money? Okay. But, you know, today that isn't quite, you know, because I can borrow it from Dave Ulrich, okay, if I needed the money, all right? But at this time, it could have been $4,071. It was a lot of money, okay? And it was related to a very specific promise uh, that I made uh, to one of my children of, of, of something that I wanted to do and promised them. And uh, I was just kind of at that place where if God didn't provide it, then I would not be able to do it. And so I just made up this little sheet, put some scriptures on it, um, wrote out just a little prayer just that I did. And I wrote out there very specifically, plane ticket, hotel, food, all the, everything budget. And I, that's what I prayed. And I said, Lord, I just, I'm going to pray this. And the scribble on there, if you, can, you probably can't see it, the handwriting, is all those times and dates when God gave me the monies towards this thing I'm praying about. And, uh, and so I wrote on there February, March 12th, which was uh, about the time I had to take care of this, God provided everything I needed. I prayed, and I really believed God. What the, there wasn't anything in this, but this was just something for me to focus and say, God, I'm going to be very specific in what I pray for, and I'm just going to trust you. I remember uh, the church when I was, it was, at a, I was pastoring, and uh, I remember uh, the secretary called me and said, so-and-so's out here to see you. And I'm thinking, you know, what did I do now, right? Because uh, <laughs> um, this person never calls me, let alone to come by and see me, so I figured I really did something bad or said something stupid, which, you know, I know you know happens every once in a while. Um, and she said, I just wanted to come by and give you this. The Lord told me to come by and give you this. And she just put a $100 bill in my hand. She never came by again. It never happened again. But it was right there in the middle. And I just knew God was going to take care of this. The reason I share that, 
you know, because I think most any believer here can remember something you prayed and asked God for, and God answered that prayer. Now, let me also say that God also, you know, answers every prayer. He may not answer it the way you want it answered. And you better thank God he didn't answer some prayers that you prayed. Hello? So that's another message someday. But this morning, let's look uh, at this holy habit of prayer. And it's going to be a little more topical uh, for our study this morning. But I want us to draw encouragement. I've I've been encouraged, and I want you to be encouraged. Not, again, to get into a fix of more regiment and guilt, but to just be motivated to be intentional in saying, I need to pray more. So the first uh, point there is the expectation of prayer. The Bible, as I said, is very clear that it expects us to pray. Jesus expects us to pray. Do you realize that? Jesus expects us to pray. Look in uh, Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Notice this. And this is in the Sermon on the Mount uh, section. Notice what Jesus says. He's teaching his disciples and teaching. He says, and when you pray. See that? When you pray. He doesn't say if you pray. He says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Verse 6, but when you pray, second time, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who's in secret will reward you. And here it is a third time. You think he's trying to, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases or I think the King James says what? Vain repetitions as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. I remember the pastor years ago said, uh, short prayers in public, long prayers in private. I'll confess to you, sometimes I fall into praying long in public because I'm trying to play catch up to what I'm not doing in private. Hello, right? So you call me in on that. Verse eight, Jesus says, do not be like them. Do not be like those who misuse prayer, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Jesus expects us to pray. He says three times, when you pray. Another place, and this won't be on the screen, Luke 11, 9, Jesus says, and I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Jesus said in Luke 18, 1, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always to pray and not lose heart. Jesus, we're talking about the expectation. If you're a follower of Jesus, here's a real deep thought. Jesus expects us to what? To pray, that we should be engaged in prayer. And the word of God is, is really clear on this. Uh, I think of Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Not everything is on the screen, so you might actually have to use your Bibles. Um, continue steadfastly, Paul says, in prayer. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer. He's talking to the church at Colossae. He also tells the church at Thessalonica, he says, pray without ceasing. Now, that doesn't mean 
You're to do nothing, and you just lay on the sofa all day, and you just pray. Why aren't you working? Well, I'm praying. I'm, I'm praying, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, I'm praying without ce- ceasing. I don't think that's what it means. Certainly, I know it's not what it means. It just, I think, is reminding us that for the follower of Jesus, uh, that there really is never a sense, there's never a place that we are not in the presence of God. Do you realize that? And there should be never a total removal that we are not, not only not in the presence of God, but that we are not consciously in regular communication with God. We may be working, we may be doing other activities, but the Bible says in Psalm 145, verse 18, the Lord is near to all who call on him. The Lord is near. So we don't have to, you know, necessarily follow some regiment and say, well, that's my time of prayer. But the Bible says to pray without ceasing. Always be conscious that your heavenly Father is with us. And uh, quoting Don Whitney, he says, praying without ceasing means that you really never stop conversing with God. You simply have a lot of interruptions. That's called life, right? So for the believer, they're always... They're always conscious that God is with me and that I am in the presence of God. Uh, God, I believe, in, expects us to pray uh, because, well, he saved us. He bought us. He redeemed us. And I think if he saved us and he sent Jesus to secure our salvation, I kind of get the hint that he wants us around. If he's going to pay that kind of price, he wants us around. If he's committed Christ to die for our sins and secure our eternity forever, he wants us to be with him forever. And he, he kind of enjoys our company. Do you realize that? Um, when uh, Sherry and I, uh, she's getting ready to go out of town or I'm out of town, we expect each other to call, to call one another, to call us when we're out of town. The expectation isn't out of some drudgery command. The expectation is out of our love relationship one to another. The expectation to call, to communicate, is because we want to hear from each other. I suspect God is, in similar, wants to hear from us. And, and we certainly know we need to hear from him, right? And so there's an expectation that we should pray. Verse familiar, Revelation 3.20. You remember the churches in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. And in Revelation 3.20, Jesus ended his criticism and his admonition, rather, to the church at Laodicea. With this, he said, Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, if you hear my voice... And if you open the door, what is his promise? I will come in and we'll share a meal together as friends. That's the New Living Translation. You see, the Laodicean church, it's interesting. When you look at the churches and you see that invitation for him to desire relationship with that Laodicean church, it was a church that had, remember this is the church that said, you're neither hot nor cold. In fact, he said, I want to spit you out of my mouth because of your indifference. 
Do you think sometimes our indifference causes us to just be, we're not hot, we're not cold, we're just kind of, you know, blah, bland. And it's in that church of Laodicea that kind of was in that indifferent kind of, uh, they, remember this is a church that he says, I know your deeds. It wasn't a church that was falling into false doctrine and heresy. In fact, they were doing, honoring good works as a church. But in their heart, they had grown indifferent. Jesus calls the indifferent of Grace Church to say, behold, I stand at the door and knock, Grace Church. And if you hear my voice, open the door. I'm not going to knock it down. Open the door. And I make a promise that I will come and I will have, he uses the picture of a meal, but I will come and have relationship with you. He invites us to relationship. The expectation is the same expectation we have with other people we have relationships with. We expect to communicate. We expect to talk with them, and we expect them to talk with us. So that's the expectation of prayer. Notice, secondly, the example to pray, the example of prayer. Uh, You know, there's a lot of people in Scripture that we could point to. But certainly if we're going to have one example of prayer, I don't think we need to go any further than the example of Christ. Think about it. Here was Jesus, God of very God, Son of God, and yet the Bible is so clear, he did what? He prayed. Look in Luke 5, 17. It'll be on the screen. But it says that Jesus would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Mark 135. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and he went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Mark 6:46. And after he had taken leave of them, the disciples, he went up into the mountain to pray. Jesus prayed. And again, just think about that if Jesus prayed, if Jesus, many times when Jesus would, in the Gospels, there's places where he would be questioned, why you do this? Why are you doing this? And you remember what he said? He said, I'm always about my father's business. I'm always doing that which I hear and I see and I follow my father doing. How would he know that? Well, again, this is where it's a bit of a mystery and it's a little more complex to get into today and we probably wouldn't solve it because church history hasn't solved the mystery of God of how Jesus is God, a very God, and yet fully human. He's not half God and half human. He's fully God, and he's fully born in the flesh. That's a mystery, okay? That's, that's something we, 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 we think we understand it, but we can't. Try Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. How does three equal one? Well, the Bible doesn't try to explain. It just says this is what it is. And so there's a mystery there. But in, if we could say it this way, in Jesus' humanity, he was dependent upon the Father, and even he prayed, if you could say it this way, without uh, that he prayed to be in sync with the will of the Father. Do you remember in Mark 14, 36? And Jesus said, Abba, which is a very intimate uh, word. Some people think it's similar to our daddy. Abba, Father. Jesus is praying, and he said, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I, what I will, but what 
you will. So Jesus, if we could say it this way without being blasphemous and considering the humanity of Christ, that Jesus prayed for the will of the Father. He prayed to be in sync with the will of the Father. Do you want to be in sync with the will of God? I want to be in sync with the will of God. Well, who better asks the will of God except the Lord, right? I remember years ago um, at church I was pastoring, we'd met some people, and uh, <clears throat> they had come from a, a very charismatic background, and they were used to getting constant prophecies and words, and, and I remember they were great people, wonderful people, loved them, and uh, they, they were in our church for several years. And I remember when I first met them, we were sitting, I can just remember, we're sitting in the, our living room, and uh, we were, after we kind of had our little niceties or had some coffee or whatever, she looked at me and says, do you have a word for me? And maybe I was less guarded, but I just said, love Jesus with all your heart. Now, that probably wasn't what she was looking for. She was wanting me to give some prophetic insight. Now, again, another time, another story, I believe the Lord in very limited ways, in very specific ways, that that is still something that the body of Christ, okay, is viable. Some may not agree. That's okay. You can be wrong. That's okay. No, I think, but, but I, think there's, I think the Bible gives us very specific parameters and understandings of those things. It's not some of the wacky stuff that's out there today, Okay. But the point is, is that some people are always running here and fro, always running to somebody to tell them, what does God want me to do with my life? Well, to quote a great sage, who will go nameless, but he's sitting over there, you got to take responsibility for your own spirituality. You got, listen, you can't live life being babied in the spiritual growth. You might actually have to get alone with God consistently and just pray and say, God, direct me in your will. That's what God wants us to do. He wants us, in fact, there's many times the Bible says, in fact, in Hebrews, writer of Hebrews says, I would love to give you some meat, but you're still babies and you can't get off of the milk or the formula. I want to give you the meat of the word, but you can't handle it. And that's not quoting Jack Nicholson either, all right? Jesus knew the will of the Father because he prayed. He prayed for the will. He said, not my will, but your will be done. Not only is there an expectation to pray, there's the example to pray, but also, thirdly, is the education of prayer. Sometimes, you know, we think, or maybe as a pastor, sometimes I think when a person, you know, gets saved, they should just know everything they need to do. But that's not true. We didn't know that. We still are learning stuff, right? Um, and that's what the Bible talks about being disciples. When Jesus called the disciples, um, he spent three and a half years with them in very one-on-one -on -one intense training, relationship building, and all those things. And even at the end of that Three and a half years, they were still like, what about this? Well, you know, and he's like, have I not been with you so long? You still don't know who I am. And so that's what discipleship is. And so there is an education of prayer that if we desire 
to grow in prayer, <clears throat> I think there's a healthy learning curve that we need to consider. When I was um, typing out this particular section on Thursday or Friday, I remember, but I was looking out my window and there was um, uh, a mom and dad in the uh, house next to us is for sale. They have a big driveway. And there was a mom and dad out there, I think, with the grandparents. And there was a little boy on this bicycle, and the bicycle had training wheels on it. Did you ever learn with training wheels? What are training wheels? You, didn't, you know, nobody says to your kids, say, look, we're not going to fool with these training wheels. You're going to learn to ride from the get-go. Yeah, you're probably going to have your wife slapping you inside your head, man, uh, for letting your kid fall and bust his lip or something. Uh, training wheels, you know what? They're, they're intended for the learning process of learning to ride the bike, right? You with me? Is this too hard, too deep, all right? But if that person is in their 20s and 30s and they're gliding around the neighborhood and you see training wheels on their bike, you'd kind of like, you may not say anything, but you'd be like, okay, that's a little weird, but... Because they're meant for a season of learning so that it will help you to ride the bike on your own. I thought that was a great picture of how God intends for us to learn to pray. Uh, in fact, uh, as we'll see in a minute, uh, the disciples uh, wanted to find out how to learn to pray. But the Lord has gifted his people with the Holy Spirit. Do you remember what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit in John 14, 16? He said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, another helper to be with you forever. And he goes on to identify in verse 26 of John 14 who the helper is. But the helper, the who? Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will do what? He will teach you all things. He will teach you all things. He will bring to your remembrance what I've said to you. The Holy Spirit has been given to us, and part of the purpose of the Spirit of Christ been given to us is the Holy Spirit is one who comes alongside and helps us in all sorts of different ways, but I think also in helping us to learn how to pray. Here's a great, here's a great scripture that shows just that. Romans 8.26. We know Romans 8.28. But Romans 8.28 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us. The Holy Spirit helps us even when we're not sure what to pray. I like a note that uh, uh, Jack Hayford wrote on this verse. He says, The Holy Spirit prays for us, and adds effective prayer when we do not pray effectively. The expressions of our hearts and spirits in prayer are taken by the Holy Spirit and made into effective intercession before the throne of God. Think about what a great verse that is. That means even when I go to the Lord in prayer and I just can't quite I might go through some words, but they're just as empty as, you know, they're just kind of, and I just am in the presence of God, and the Lord knows my heart, and the Holy Spirit, it's almost as though the Holy Spirit comes alongside 
And it's like, I got it from here. I know, I know, I know what you want. And I know what we're, we're, how we're going to do this. Those are my words, okay? Just trying to, trying to wrap my head around this concept. I like what one person said. Now this I can understand. God can make sense of our nonsense. Isn't that good? That kind of explains it better, doesn't it? God can take those ramblings, and I don't believe this has anything to do with speaking in tongues. Even Jack Hayward, who's a Pentecostal, says this has nothing to do with that. But there's that, there's that, there's that time in which we struggle with effectual prayer, and we know that the Holy Spirit who's been given to us as our helper to come alongside, another way the Greek expresses that, takes our struggling prayers and makes it effectual. The gift of the Holy Spirit that helps us to learn. <clears throat> the scripture that I almost quoted earlier, but this is a better place here. Do you remember when the disciples heard Jesus pray? What did they ask Jesus? Luke 11.1. 1. It says, now Jesus was praying in a certain place. Having a certain place sometimes is good in developing a habit of prayer. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, what? Lord, teach us to pray. What were they saying? We want to learn how to pray. Now, remember these disciples, they were Jewish, raised in the synagogue. Do you not think they knew how? to quote-unquote pray. They had to memorize prayers. And uh, I used to say they were bar mitzvah, but bar mitzvah, the whole bar mitzvah event came along way later in Judaism. That was not in this uh, season. But raised in the synagogue, they would have been schooled in memorizing Scripture. Uh, they would have certainly were probably regular attenders in the synagogue. So it wasn't that they didn't know the mechanics of prayer. We know the mechanics of prayer. Many times we fall into a mechanical prayer. We teach our kids, and that's okay because they're learning, you know, in praying at meals or praying before bed. We teach them certain phrases and terms in, in teaching them. But what do you think it was that they heard when Jesus prayed that was different? I think what they heard was someone who had relationship with his father. And he wasn't just the austere, holy God who is separate. And he is, he is that, okay? He's not, God in your, he's not the God of good parking places at Walmart, the way we trivialize God. Hello? Okay? He is the holy God that Isaiah encountered in Isaiah 6. Okay? He is all that. But yet he has also identified himself as Jesus has given his children permission to call him Abba, a very intimate term, Abba, Father. That was radical to the Jew. To call God, I mean that uh, an Orthodox Jew wouldn't even use the vowels in Yahweh because of the unworthiness to pronounce even the name of God. The scribes would only write Y-H-W-H in our, if they, you know, they didn't write English, but you know what I'm saying in our, because to write it with its full pronunciation was, there was something very holy 
and separate with the name of God. And there's, there's some good truth in that. We've kind of gone the other extreme, haven't we? The Bible talks about, do not take the Lord thy God's name in vain. And we think that just has to do with cursing, cussing, as we say in the South. You know what it has to do? It's using God's name in any form of emptiness. And if you pray prayers where you repeat, Father God, 18,000 times in your prayer, that's a vain repetition. And you need to get the training wheels off and learn, some, learn how to pray. You're not, you're not, again, you're not just addressing some, some wall of not, that we do not relate to. Jesus says, I have come to show you the Father, what he is like to have this relationship. And so when they heard Jesus pray, they heard someone who actually had relationship to pray. Be like if I was talking to somebody, whether it was the president, and he called me, which I don't expect, but you never know. You never know. Now, I probably wouldn't say this because it'd be disrespectful for whoever is the president. But if he called me, and Sherry said, the president's on the phone. And I picked up the phone, you're in the room, like, ooh, oh, that Tim, he's really a big shot, you know. And I picked the phone, I go, Donald, what's going on, man? Now, again, I know that's, but you get, you're making, you would assume that I might have a little bit of a connection with the Donald, right? You might have, a, like, I know this person. There's some people I can go and talk to because I know them, I have a relationship with. There's other people, you're a little bit more, stand, you, know, you're, you know, you have a little way you communicate. When they heard Jesus pray, they heard someone who was, had a deep connectivity to the Father, and they said, we want to know how to pray like that. Let me give you some very practical ways of how to learn to pray, <clears throat> of the learning. We're still talking about the learning to pray. Well, here's one that's real radical. You learn how to pray by praying. Isn't that deep? Isn't that deep? You learn to pray. How do you learn a foreign language? Not just reading a bunch of books about it. You gotta speak the language. You gotta, you gotta engage other people. You've got to pray. Same is true with prayer. Andrew Murray um, who wrote so many good books on prayer, and they're good to, so many of these things are, you can get online for free because of uh, uh, nowadays, because the copyrights run out, public domain. And in his, little, in his book called With Christ in the School of Prayer, that's a little book he has, With Christ in the School of Prayer, he says, reading a book about prayer, reading a book about prayer, listening to lectures and talking about it is very good but it won't teach you how to pray. You get nothing without exercise, without practice. I might listen for a year to a teacher of music playing the most beautiful music, but it won't teach me how to play the instrument. You've got to pray, all right? And remember, Jesus said about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will guide you. He will guide you. Talking about learning. Secondly, is praying scripture. And that's um, uh, something that really is not new, 
Some of you uh, may not be familiar. Uh, he's been in heaven for a long time. A man by the name of Judson Cornwall. Um, some other people uh, think of like Derek Prince. Um, recently, I think a few years back, uh, we were teaching on prayer, and I ordered this book, and many of you have this book called Praying the Bible by Don Whitney, who also wrote the book about spiritual disciplines. And uh, you may want to pull this out. It's just a little book. But he has a whole chapter in there on praying the Scripture. What do we mean by that? <clears throat> is, you know, sometimes one of the struggles we have when prayer is we go to pray, and we're just like, okay, I've prayed for everybody in my family. I've prayed for, you know, these, my list. I don't have anything to say, and I've only been praying two minutes. What else do I do? Well, again, here's some training wheels, and it's okay because these are, these are things that you'll hopefully use forever. But as you read Scripture, the, by, the, God, the Lord has given us a great tool for prayer, and it's the Word of God. Don't separate the Word of God from your praying because when we pray the Word of God, we are praying the very words of God. And what I mean by this is praying the Scripture Take Psalm 23. Most of us are familiar with Psalm 23, right? Okay. The Lord is my shepherd. So you read, the Lord is my shepherd. Stop there. And you begin to pray. Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you're my shepherd. I thank you that you're continuing to shepherd me and guide me. Lord, before I ever was, you chose me to shepherd me before all eternity. Lord, I have a lot of people that give me advice, but you, oh Lord, you're the only one that has the reliable voice because you're my shepherd. Father, help me be a shepherd to my children. Help me to shepherd my wife, my church. Lord, help me to shepherd them the way that, do you get the idea? Is that hard? No. What's the next verse? The Lord is my shepherd. Well, not the whole thing. <laughs> the Lord is my shepherd. And it says that uh, I have, I like the version that says, and I have everything that I need. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. So Lord, not only you're my shepherd, but God, you've provided every need that I have. You've even provided some wants. I thank you for my job. I thank you for my house. You see, you're praying and saying, God, because I can pray, that I shall not want, that means, God, I am totally satisfied in you. Do you see what I'm doing? I'm just praying and letting the Bible prompt me as I pray. You begin to do that. You begin to just take something like Psalm 23, and guess what? You'll look and think, oh my goodness, I spent 15, 20 minutes, and it just went by like that. You know what you're doing? You're praying Scripture, and I think that's a good way to learn how to pray, all right? Thirdly, is praying with others. Praying with others. The disciples learned to pray not just by hearing Jesus pray, but also by being with Jesus when he prayed. When we pray with others, we're not just learning new little phrases. We're learning and learning from somebody who has uh, grown in this area, and we're learning uh, maybe principles. We're learning ways in which they have developed a, a more intimacy way in their praying, and we grow with that. Some of the great revivals in history began when a small group of people met 
to pray. If you look at historically the great revivals that have occurred, I, can think, I can't think of too many that didn't begin when just a handful of people began to meet and pray. It can still happen. Not only praying with others, but praying for others. We call this uh, intercession. James 5 reminds us that we are not only to confess our sins to one another, but we are to pray for one another. Intercessory prayer, praying for one another. That's why we, when we take those prayer requests, and you are, how many of you get the prayer email that's sent out? You're on the prayer prayer chain. I don't like chain. That sounds like a prison gang, but prayer, but prayer network or whatever. Um, and you get that. And you get that, and you're reminded to pray. We're going to pray for, where's uh, 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 Gwen? We're praying for Ann, her sister. All right? We're praying for uh, uh, Evelyn, who's in the hospital. Um, and that's how we know of what's happening in the body of Christ, okay? So we're praying for others. And I think when we pray for others, we're really imitating Jesus by being a servant to others as Jesus did. And here's one that you might think is kind of unspiritual, but I think it, I think it really helps us to learn prayer, is reading about prayer. Now, I said earlier, you don't learn to pray by reading about prayer anymore than you learn how to speak Spanish by just reading about Spanish. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta get, get the tongue working going. You gotta talk it, right? I know people who love the game of golf. My dad loved to play golf. And my dad subscribed to magazines about golf. He read biographies about Jack Nicholas and, and uh, Arnold Palmer was his favorite. And he read books and, about them. He was always learning, you know. And I remember many Saturdays he'd get up early and he'd go play golf. And he loved the game of golf. And he was always trying to learn and absorb. Well, I think in some ways when we learn, want to learn how to be better at something, we begin to, to learn from others. And, and one of the ways that we can do that is by reading uh, good books about prayer. And not just, again, not just learning technique, but learning from people who have developed a maturity, who've, who've let the training wheels come off, and have learned to grow in prayer. Um, give you some examples of some authors that I'll put on the screen. Uh, E.M. Bounds. And I put these up there because you can go on the web and find free stuff, free books all day long on these people, some of these people. E.M. Bounds, Andrew Murray, I quoted him earlier, Charles Spurgeon, John Piper, uh, he's still alive, uh, a book that I've um, used quite a bit, and I've got a copy uh, at my desk here, my desk at home, and it's this book called The Valley of Vision. It's a collection of Puritan prayers and devotions. It's not a prayer book. It's not like the Book of Common. It's not that. It's just prayers that have been called through writings of some great old dead people. I guess if they're dead, they're old, but anyway. Um, but they've just cultivated, and they've grouped them by topic and category. And again, you know, what the, you know what's good about this? It's sometimes when you just come and you're dry as dust, and you begin to read one of these prayers of somebody who, man, as they were praying, you just find your spirit 
You just, you just, you just find, you know what priming the pump, some of you grew up on a farm or whatever, you prime the pump to get the water going. I didn't, so I'm, I'm told you all I know about priming a pump, all right? Um, I turn on the faucet like most of us. But you prime the pump because if it hasn't been used in a while, what? You've got to get the flow going. You with me? You've got to get the water flowing. Billy Ray, do you know how to prime a pump? I bet you do, brother. Um, this book I'm reading right now, and I love it. Paul Miller called The Praying Life. Uh, I mentioned Don Whitney's Praying the Bible. Norman Grubb, an old book about a, a biography by a guy named Reese Howell, and he was an, an intercessor. Now, again, some of these books you read, you know, use your biblical lens. Not everything is always, but, but you read these people, some biographies. Hudson Taylor, missionary to China. You with me? Hudson Taylor, great missionary to China. Read his little book called uh, I think it's called the, uh, the, uh, the Spiritual Secret, or Secret of the, I think it's Spiritual Secret, Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret, I think it's called. Um, George Mueller, who had the orphanage in Bristol, England, and uh, well-known for just going to God with his needs and praying and asking God for his needs. Now, here's something, and you can thank me later, that I've done for you. Go to the next slide. If you go to our website, now you can't read it, and I knew that, but if you go to our website, see where that, you go to the homepage, you'll see where that arrow's supposed to be. It'll say Holy Habits Resources. And when you click that, I've got about, I don't know, six or seven from last week. This week, I've got probably about 12 links to all sorts of different things. Most, a lot of these people I just mentioned, um, of links that you can access to learn and read and grow in prayer. Click it on the link. It's on the web. Take your little mouse, click it on the link, and it'll open up horizons for you to learn, right? But guess what? I'm not coming to your house and doing it. You've got to do it for yourself if you want to learn to pray. If you don't want to learn to pray, that's okay. Online, you can read it very quickly, but it will give you some instruction. And you know what it is? They're tools. Most of us have some kind of toolbox. They're just tools. They're just tools. And here's some tools that are on the website of our church that you can have access to. Real quick. We've looked at the expectation of prayer, the example of prayer, the education of prayer, but the exercise of prayer, here's a, here's a, here's a way among many to just start, start somewhere. <clears throat> Some of you are familiar with, uh, there's different little, you know what an acrostic is? Like some of you might remember the, uh, I think it's Acts that just helps you remember, you know, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, nice big words. Um, I have a little, I have one for you. And it's just simply, because it's easy to remember, it's built around just the word P pray, P-R-A-Y, P-R-A-Y. Now, I know most of you have a photographic memory because I can see you, but you might want to write this down. All right, this might be just out of the blue moon, could be of a help to some of you um, in learning how to pray. Here's some training wheels of how to pray, right? Now, I better let you off the hook. If you go to our website, I have a link to this, this thing, so you can be lazy for me today, all right? That's okay. But just listen, P is for praise. We begin by welcoming God, honoring God, worshiping God. 
praise. That's a good place to start. It's remembering that prayer primarily is a vertical activity. It is speaking and relating to God. You remember when Jesus, in the disciples' prayer, when he taught and he began, when they said, teach us to pray, and what did he teach them? The very beginning was, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed or holy is your name. What is that? That's praise. Starting off, God, holy is your name. So when we pray, we're beginning by honoring and worshiping God, beginning our prayers by focusing on God and his agenda. The R is the word repent. Now we understand as Christians that Christ has cleansed us from sin, that if you're a born-again believer, that our sins have been removed by the cross. We have and enjoy full and free forgiveness. But as we are positionally righteous, we are progressively growing in our sanctification. Sanctification is just that big word that means that we are living life in real time that's conforming to who we are positionally with Christ. Even Jesus said, on earth as it is in heaven. We're praying for my life. Lord, let it be in my life as you see me in heaven. You with me? Some of you that understand transformation of taking that, you understand kind of what I'm, the shorthand of what I'm talking about. But nevertheless, we still battle with sin. Anybody that tells you they're sinless, they're lying. In fact, I know they're lying because they just lied when they said they're sinless. We battle sin. If we didn't deal with sin as Christians, why would the Holy Spirit see fit to have John the Apostle write 1 John 1, 9 when he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, to repent, the word repent, one of the ways to look at that word repent is that it is to say the same thing that God says about my sin, about my attitudes, about my actions. So as I pray and I enter into the presence of God, the R reminds me that more than likely, like, like I quoted Isaiah earlier in Isaiah 6, in Isaiah 6 when he saw God holy, 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 high and lifted up and his train filled the temple, do you remember what his response was? Woe am I, I am a man of unclean lips. What happened? When you're exposed to the light, what is it? it has a way of showing the dust and the dirt, doesn't it? If you want to make sure your house is, that you never are bothered with looking at dust and dirt, just keep the shades closed, the lights off, and it'll be clean and perfect every time. But you open those blinds, and you see the ants building condos of dust on your piano, and you know you've been neglecting some work. So repent. That's a time for us to get an agreement and God to bring to light. A is ask. That's that asking. Usually that's where we start, right? We start there. But we ask. I like H.B. Charles. He pastors up in Jacksonville. H.B. Charles in his book, Handle with Prayer, says, prayer expresses our submission to God and dependence upon God. The things, listen to this, the things you pray about are the things you trust God to handle. You don't pray about it, you figure 
eh, I got this. But when you pray and you ask, you're praying and asking God to handle. The Bible says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace to receive mercy and to find grace and help in the time of need. James 4.2 says, you have not because you... Yep. And why kind of rounds it off. Why is the word yield? Yield. Why? Watch, I'll say it louder and it'll appear. There you go. Why? <laughs> why is the word yield? Because at the end of the day, as God, as I've spent time with God, as I've dealt with my personal sin, I've asked God and, and he's, he's worked in on, on me in this relationship and I'm not just talking, but he's communicating back through in his word and, and just through this sweet time of prayer is that if I walk away and just say, well, I don't really have any intention of obeying God, then really the whole thing was kind of a worthless activity, right? Jesus said, if you really, if you, the real test of loving me is what? You will obey what I say. If you love me, you'll obey my commandments. So the yielding is where we are yielding our desires and thoughts to God's sovereign wisdom. Remember when Jesus prayed that prayer we quoted earlier in the garden, not my will, but thine be done? Jesus was submitted, not my will. My will is, in my humanity, I don't want to be crucified. I don't want to be nailed. Not my will. If I could pray, let this cup do what? Pass from me. But Jesus says, because he was yielded, yielded to God. Are we yielded to God? That's a good time to make sure in our prayer that we are yielded to God. Uh, some of you may know the name uh, or, and another name that's worth knowing. Uh, e. Stanley Jones. He was a Methodist missionary to India. And I came across this, and, uh, and it's sometimes a good quote just says so much richness. Listen to what he says, E. Stanley Jones. He says, prayer, talking about yielding, prayer is surrender. Surrender to the will of God and cooperation with that will. Now listen to how he illustrates this. If I throw out a boat hook from the boat to catch hold of the shore and pull, he says, I'm not pulling the shore to me. You with me? He says, I'm not pulling the shore to me. Or, he says, but I'm pulling myself to the shore. So when I pray and I yield, prayer is not pulling God to my will, but the aligning of my will to his will. Isn't that good? From a Methodist. I'm teasing, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But he was part of when the Methodists actually believed the gospel, sadly. You see, when we yield, we're submitting ourselves to Romans 8, 28, what that says so clearly, that God works all things together for good to those that love him and are called according to his purpose. 
We say, Lord, I submit myself to what your will is. You know what I have done and start doing? Just take this. You don't have to buy any. I mean, this is just easy. Just get a three-by-five card. Draw four little boxes and put P-R-A-Y. And write a couple of things in each box that we just said. And just put it in your pocket. I don't have a pocket, but put it in your pocket. Carry it with you. Put it somewhere. You'll see it every day, every week, maybe every couple weeks. Just start a new one. And if you've got a list on the back for asking and people that you want to pray for, you've got lots of room on there. Real simple. It's just a tool. But make use of whatever tool you use. Uh, Dale Moody, and I was going to save this when we talk about evangelism, but it applies here. He was criticized for his by somebody who thought his method of evangelism was kind of crude and wasn't real biblical, and, you know, they were all over you criticizing him. And he said, he said, I prefer the method that I do to the method you don't do. So if it works for you, that's the best method. Whatever works for you is a tool, because the bottom line is, is to start praying. Last quote, and when you read books about prayer, you get a lot of great quotes. But D.A. Carson, who I really enjoy reading, and he's a, he says this. He says, a lack of praying, a lack of praying in our life is because we do not plan to pray. And I like this statement. We do not drift into spiritual life. You, you see what he's We don't just naturally drift towards godliness. That's why the Bible says train. Gymnusio, from the gymnasium. In other words, what do you do in a gym? What you should do? You sweat. You work out. The disciplines, the holy habits will get you spiritually sweaty because it's training. It's working. We don't just drift into godliness. We have to be intentional. We do not drift into the habit of prayer. We will not grow in prayer unless we plan to pray.